Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 193, Kara Thrace and Her Special Destiny. This week we're discussing the broader themes and character development of Season 3 of Angel, as well as Season 3, Episode 13 of Battlestar Galactica, Taking a Break from All Your Worries. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, wrapping up Angel Season 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we take a little hiatus from Angel while we uh, wrap up Buffy uh, Season 6 and move on to Season 7 of that. Um, but we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about Angel. Um yeah. And so before we get into it, um, I think you had some production stuff to start with. Yeah. So, um, I mean, nothing too big here. Um, Did want to mention, we'd usually try to mention like awards and stuff, especially when they're like the seasonal uh, awards or whatever. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So season three of Angel was nominated actually for three Saturn Awards. Um, one was on the best uh, for the best network television series. Uh, one was for uh, best actor for David Boreanaz on television. Um, and then one was uh, kind of one of those weird long ones. Um, Female Cinescape Genre Face of the Future Award. For, uh, <laughs> um for Amy Acker, uh, in her role as Fred. Um, so yeah, like, you know, okay, whatever. Um, but also I don't, I can't remember if we talked about this, uh, when we talked about the episode, um, but waiting in the wings was actually nominated for a Hugo, um, for best dramatic presentation short form, um, which, uh, which puts it then, um, right alongside, uh, the episode Serenity of Firefly. So we've got mm. Joss with two things there, as well as uh, an upcoming episode of Buffy that I that shall remain unnamed. Okay. Um, which actually won. So um, I won't mention... So, you know... Uh, so Joss is dominating the sci-fi fantasy TV landscape in 2002 or whatever year this is? Uh yeah, so th- this was the award. Uh, it was awarded in 2003. Okay. So, the, so the, year, the, the upcoming yeah. episode of Buffy is from the first part of uh, season seven. But yeah, the award year would be 2002, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was up against a couple of Star Trek Enterprise uh, episodes, uh, which were both also nominated. Um so yeah, so just definitely an interesting um, thing. So this is, um, we're leading into, th- this is a few years. So this was the first year, I guess, that this short form award uh, was presented, right? Because we've already talked about actually, I think some Doctor Who and uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica, the Pegasus episode mm-hmm. and, um, those, so those come along in 2006. So mm-hmm. this is kind of the beginning of that right. category, um, which runs for 
I guess it's still going on at this mm -hmm. point, right? Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, just very, very cool to have Joss in there three times for three different shows. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Waiting in the Wings being one of those episodes that... Uh, that gets yeah. the nod, that gets the nod, but not uh, doesn't win. Um, right, right. And the Buffy episode one, you said the Buffy episode wins, but we'll okay. we'll get to that. And and you'll be happy to know uh, our patron saint uh, Jane Espenson writes the episode. Uh, so maybe maybe you can keep Sweet. out. I mean, <laughs> so so yeah. Um, That's funny. That that wins, but good good for uh, her. She um, she and she and Drew Goddard actually uh, co-write the episode oh, okay. that win. Um, so I, I I may be giving it away. <laughs> then you you'll maybe recognize I have to make it sure when we, I to pay attention when, to the credits when we get to it. But uh, yeah, but yeah. So I mean that's um, you know some good stuff. Uh, this um, you know viewership is uh, not quite the same as Buffy is getting at this point. Um, and we've talked about how viewership and Buffy kind of goes down after season mm -hmm. three anyway. Um, so not, you know, like stunning as far as viewership goes, but you know, it's, again, we've talked about how that may or may not really play into it. Sure. Um, and then you get kind of like, you know, you get like futon critic and stuff, uh, who, who mentioned a couple of episodes, um, uh, Billy and that vision thing were both on uh, the Futon Critic best episodes for 2001. So they came, mm -hmm. you know, the first half of the season mm -hmm. in 2001 um, mm -hmm. there. So uh, some nice little nods. Um, Hugo, not terribly little, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, certainly uh, some good, good things going on there um, with that. Uh, also, just from a production perspective, this is an interesting season because it's um, it's the third season, but it's the last uh, where we have David Greenwalt um, really participating in the show. Um, and so he started uh, on Buffy um, right mm -hmm. in season one with Joss kind of writing right along with him and uh, co-created Angel. Uh, as a spinoff show. Um, and so you have him leaving, um, you know, and he's basically showrunner. Cause again, we've talked about, you know, Joss is off doing Firefly and uh, you know, Buffy's still going on. So he's somewhat still involved with that, at least a little bit. Uh, and we talked about how, you know, Joss really only writes one episode, you know, waiting in the wings this season um, of Angel. So, you know, David Greenwald's really the showrunner and doing all of the, the heavy lifting as far as that goes, but this is his last season on Angels. So, um, yeah. he, uh, he moves on to other projects. Um, and, uh, you know, starting next season, we'll have, um, Jeffrey Bell and Tim Minear being the ones to kind of really take over and, uh, provide that sort of, uh, uh showrunner capacity. Um, so yeah, I don't. I mean, we can maybe talk a little bit about that uh, and and where it goes. Um, even kind of maybe when we're talking through some of the arc stuff and get to like the last episode that was uh, written and directed. You know, as as Joss did with Buffy, um, David Greenwald has really been the one kind of doing the 
the first and last episodes and kind of the big heavy lifting episodes of, you know, as far as arc and, and mythology stuff here. So um, that's certainly true in season three here, you know, where he bookends the season with mm-hmm. episodes that he writes and directs um, and also has a couple other episodes throughout the season. Um, but we should talk about the fact that it ends on like these major cliffhangers and like he's going off and going to do his own thing now. Um, so yeah, we can talk about that. Maybe we get to the arc stuff, but uh, sure. just kind of wanted to bring that up. Um, you know, from a production spe- perspective, we, we've got a pretty major player leaving here. Yeah. Uh, and that. Um, so yeah. Uh, one of the other things that we, I think we wanted to talk about a little bit and, and, you know, um, you know, maybe you can say a few words too, is before we get into kind of picking what our favorite episodes were or, or announcing, I guess we've already picked, um, is this idea that, uh, I really feel that season three is, and I think you agree that season three is a much more arc heavy season than even the previous uh, two seasons were and even I would say in some respects more so than a lot of the Buffy seasons even mm-hmm. even though I mean a lot of the Buffy seasons do have arcs um, there's still there still seems to be a lot of really good individual episodes but I feel like with this season um, for better or worse there's it just like it seems to be almost all arc (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh, there are one or two episodes that are kind of standalone, but like it really, it's really hard to find any stories that are just sort of standalone stories in this season. They're, they're all very, they all very much bleed into each other. Um, Even more so I think than, than some other seasons uh, in either show. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it was something I was kind of thinking about talking, like bringing up as a topic in leading up to this kind of starting to think about what are we going to talk about and trying to look back over the course of the season, this revelation had been kind of growing on me, but then especially when we just were trying to pick our favorite episodes and found that that was a really difficult thing to do. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, finding ones that were memorable enough in their concept or that if you remembered the concept felt like they were strong enough to warrant being like called like a favorite Um, or that that central concept was memorable enough that it stood out and was identifiable, um, you know, and stood out for good reason. I mean, there are things that are memorable that's not always necessarily a good thing um but like finding both of those things that they're distinct and that they also work really well and everything um so mm-hmm. actually um uh without going into all the details of the argument um i feel like this is something that i've been seeing in the conversation a lot more recently um so it's interesting to see this be a a, a, a debate we can have about a season of angel that was made what like 15 years ago or something um because now i keep seeing all this this discussion especially with streaming networks of 
of the of the relationship between a season and an episode of television and how does it mm. work um like when you can sit down and watch a season in an afternoon or in a day or a weekend um how much does the episode matter if you're going to consume it all in a binge and have it all kind of in one sitting sure. or two sittings or whatever um and i feel like there's a split between uh some not all but some like creative people like the the showrunners and the producers versus the kind of you know writers and critics and stuff that like you get a lot of you know of the showrunners wanting to do this kind of I'm doing a novel for tv thing of like it's designed to be like a long-form story that instead of writing a novel or instead of writing a movie I'm crafting like this long-form story that is existed you know or designed to be consumed in more of a a piece kind of thing whereas um I think I've seen a lot of like people who write about tv or write about these things um wanting to kind of come to the defense of more traditional tv storytelling of like it's okay to be somewhat episodic that that doesn't have to be like a dirty word and that um maybe those two things can work together um mm -hmm. they don't necessarily like i feel like buffy is a really good example of that of yeah has had increasing story arcs but also has those memorable and distinct and successful like individual episodes within that um some of which are totally standalone some of which are distinct and yet also can further the the longer story arcs and everything um and uh so like alan sepinwall is one of the critics that i'm thinking of and he like writes and has a book and has a podcast and everything but like um you know he has a a blog post i've seen shared a lot called why your tv show doesn't have to be a novel in defense of the episode and kind of going through and saying like all right you know all you folks like i think he calls out like game of thrones and westworld and a lot of these maybe hbo shows or some of these streaming networks that want to just kind of plunk a whole storyline down over 10 or 13 episodes or whatever he then goes and he talks about Buffy and a lot of these other shows that had really successful episodic storytelling within a larger, you know, seasonal arc structure. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like that's fascinating to me that I feel like Angel kind of slightly fell victim to this mentality, maybe 15 years before it was cool, <laughs> you know, like that, like, I think, I mean, there's nothing wrong with long form storytelling and that can be really satisfying when it's done well. But on the other hand, I feel like maybe the season would have benefited from some uh, attention paid more towards those individual moments of how do you make each week satisfying in addition to yeah. making the season satisfying as a whole. Um, and it wasn't done streaming it was done as an episodic week-to-week -week traditional you know network show and everything so it's kind of interesting that like they kind of were playing around and experimenting with that successfully or not like 
a good amount of time before that became like the the vogue thing to be doing mm. um so yeah i don't know if you have any i don't know if like if you agree with necessarily that that's sort of the problem or even that it is a problem um but uh yeah those are my thoughts yeah i you know and it is hard because like i've only seen this show basically in that binge watch mode until now right like i mean right we're kind of coming at it and not quite the same difference. yeah yeah you know not quite the same as it originally aired you know because we do you know it's more steady like there's not as big gaps when there are gaps you know it's right, not like right. we go a whole summer without seeing episodes although <laughs> the next few weeks might feel that way um <laughs> but like you know at the same time we're you know we're watching it you know every other week or so um mm -hmm. you know where we're not seeing it kind of in our so we are kind of in a way recreating a bit of that original experience mm -hmm. um and I didn't really think about it until this time watching it through that, that there, and even, I mean, so we've been kind of talking about it, you know, from a arc versus, you know, what's your favorite episode perspective. Like that's kind of what triggered like this idea that like, actually it's really hard because there aren't that many sort of individual episodes. There's a lot of, you know, one story leads into the next leads into the next. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is hard to kind of keep them all straight. And even like the name, you know, the titles of them, uh, of the episodes, I mean, are hard to sort of pick out like what's going on, like Offspring and Quickening and Lullaby and Dad. It's like, okay, those all are kind of have to do with baby Connor and pregnant. Right, Carla. but which is and, which? But yeah. like what yeah. actually happens in each of those, right. I couldn't maybe even really tell you, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um uh you know so it it is just kind of hard to really pick out um what that is and i mean is it a problem you know i think to a certain extent it would be nicer to have something a little more memorable you know happen maybe in some of those episodes um and not even memorable in the fact that like i don't remember kind of what the whole story was but again like I could think, you know, if you think of like Offspring, oh yeah, that's the episode where such and such happens, like yeah, right, right away, like you would with any number of other episodes, um, you know, both in previous seasons of Angel and with Buffy. And I, I do feel like that just makes it a little clearer. I, I also feel like to get away from the episodes, and maybe this is more of an arc thing, there are just some really sort of dull characters that mm. get introduced so we lose one of the most interesting characters this season right darla mm -hmm. uh and we gain all right so as attractive as grew may be <laughs> like he is just sort of eye candy right sure. like and like i don't like i think there's useful things to say about him and we'll talk about him and cordy you know and you know, their relationship and, and, you know, Angel and all of that too. But like, he just doesn't do that much. <laughs> like he's just right. kind of there and whatever. And that, and like, I hate to say that's like a flaw because that's kind of the point. Like he is just kind of like this extra 
good looking guy. And maybe, mm-hmm. and maybe you could turn that into a commentary about, you know, extra good looking women and other shows who like don't do much or whatever. Sure, like, sure. You know, so maybe there's, there's, but I don't like, I'm sort of smirking as I say that. Cause I don't feel like that was an intentional commentary. Mm, like right. that would just be sort of us saying, okay, like here's how maybe we could, you know, uh, uh, right. You, you know, uh, what's the word I rehabilitate, right. <laughs> you know, right. Bruce character, a, a, a redemptive bit. reading of his <laughs> yeah. character. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think that that was like necessarily something they planned to be like, Oh, this is a commentary on like, the all female those, gaze all, all or those something. Good, yeah, yeah. good looking women that they just throw into shows to, you know, keep the men interested or something right, like that. Right, right. It's kind of reversal of that. Um, totally a thing that they should and could have done, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that would be appropriate in Angel because that's the type of thing, like, I feel like Buffy and sort of Angel tangentially, like, kind of try to do a lot of, but... Right, is have those role reversals and... Right. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I, it just doesn't feel to me like that, like that that's something they actually try to do. And, and I've not heard any commentary or read anything to make right. me think that it was, you know, something that right. they were thinking about at the time. So No, and it even kind of feels, now that you're saying it, it even kind of feels like there's, grew becomes slightly metatextual in a different way in that does he start to voice the frustration of the writers maybe saying, hey, I have this character who's feeling somewhat kind of superfluous of like, like almost he's saying to Cordy, you know, you're supposed to be with me, right? But like you're spending all your time with Angel and that's kind of where you'd rather be. And maybe the writer's coming to the conclusion of we don't actually need this character. Like what is the point of him? Well, other right. than being a thing that's an obstacle towards Cordy and Angel, like right. getting together, right? Yeah, and that's really all all he is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got Gru, who again, good looking, potentially interesting, but not really in the way it's executed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Justine, I mean, yeah, just not. A, a really compelling character. She's kind of whiny. She like they they try to make her more badass than she ever really becomes. Um, yeah, sure. Now I do want to. I did want to actually bring up the actress too. So Laurel Laurel Holloman um, is the actress who plays her. And so one of the interesting things that I found out sort of in in doing a little bit of research, <clears throat> AKA searching on Wikipedia, um, you know, about it is that actually she's, uh, she went on to be rather acclaimed. Um, she starred in, uh, the show, the L word, um, uh-huh. and, uh, was actually, um, nominated, uh, for an Emmy for that. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very shortly after her time on Angel, um, you know, so, uh, or I'm sorry, um, not an Emmy, uh, a Golden Satellite Award uh, as a Best Actress in a Drama. Um, but, uh, you know, still, like, that's pretty significant. Like, that's mm-hmm. not, you know, that's not a shabby thing. Uh, 
considering that you know we're we're here in 2002 and she was awarded that in 2005 meaning you know mm-hmm. that it was for work in 2004 so you know right. we're talking very short time but i just like her her and again i don't know if it's her per se you know if it's the acting or if it's that they just wrote her character poorly or that like you know just the the type of role that it is um is you know she's she's someone who's used by holtz and Mm -hmm. you know she's desperate and whatever and like all of that is there's that's all sort of there in the character but she never sort of overcomes it and i kind of feel like like that's the thing that they should be doing like it shouldn't just be like the main characters of cordy and fred like overcoming whatever things they are and you know becoming sort of badass in their own right. Like I, I also feel kind of feel like they should have done that same thing with Justine and they mm-hmm. never really do. She just always is part infatuated with Holtz part, you know, subservient mm-hmm. to him. Even when like, she sort of realizes that Holtz is treating her badly and right. you know, whatever. And like, she never sort of overcomes that to really be her own force of vengeance, <laughs> you know, um, Right, and I think right, she, right. I, I feel like that that could have been done so much better. Um, yeah, right. And she doesn't change really because it's like no. She, well, she's already this kind of wannabe slayer when we meet her, so it's not like she becomes this competent fighter or this vengeful person. Like that's already the case from the beginning. And then, like you said, she doesn't change her attitude even after. Holtz lets her down and kind of betrays her a number of times or, you know, uses her and it's clear to her that that's what's happening. She doesn't ever really, uh, from what we see, she stays consistent in her loyalty to him. Um, so it's kind of like, uh, not a lot to do with that in terms of character development, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and who knows? Maybe it was just not that, not written all that, you know, um, with that much excitement. And, you know, maybe the actress was sort of uninspired by that. Or maybe it was just a poor match of actor to character, you know, of under somebody else's, you know. And not that's not necessarily... Um, you know, a mark against the actress. That could just be, not everybody is suited for every role. You know, to could could have been a flawed casting decision. Um, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, if she had a good character in her, it wasn't necessarily Justine. You know, that wasn't a good match. I guess. Um. So. Yeah. 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 Well, and and I think we'll talk a bit about the, the, the merits or the virtues or the lack of, of, you know, the Connor story, you know, as a character and an actor and everything. And you know what, I have to admit, even Holtz a bit for me, like he's an interesting enough character on paper, like the concept of him and, and I guess guessing his, his motivations and his plans and 
all of his tricks and traps and all that is interesting. There's something about the actor that is a bit flat for me, like the way he, Mm. like he's very kind of monotone in his voice and everything that at times would leave me a little bit uninterested. You know, he didn't quite grab me the way that some of the other villains have grabbed me in in Buffy and an Angel. Um, Of like, there wasn't a lot of like, you know, I feel like the real, I mean, the big bads of like the recurring villains who are going to be in it for a season or for multiple episodes. It's like you want a certain amount of charisma, even if they're, even if they're bad guys, it's like you want them to be kind of watchable and stuff. And I'm not sure that for me, Holtz ever really became all that watchable. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it was kind of, there is a lack of, so and maybe that's kind of the frustration is, you know, there's a lack of outstanding individual episodes. Instead of that, they did these long serialized arcs, but even those had some flaws in terms of casting decisions, maybe, or how we wrote the mm-hmm. characters. So, um, which kind of, you feel like, okay, if, if the, if the seasonal arcs are so good, maybe you won't care as much that the that um the episodes aren't as strong mm-hmm. um but maybe this isn't necessarily the strongest seasonal arc of angel either um and the characters yeah. might have something to do with that um yep. all right well at our halfway mark here um oh wow yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> it's always funny when we're like we have nothing to talk about let's talk about that and then it's like oh suddenly we're like out of time and we have more yeah we we have to scramble to fit everything in yeah um all right we don't have to spend too much time on the individual episodes i think because i think even these like we said were a bit hard to identify um yeah but um cliche and predictable as it may be i i went for waiting in the wings um you know uh a bit of you know dance never goes wrong with me um so there's that and just that fact alone of having it be you know the ballet episode is like again a memorable and distinct thing but then they kind of it was it's not just that like oh, there's a scene in which there's dancing and then that sticks in your memory. But, like, that extends to the rest of the story. Like, that's what a good standalone does. Is It's not just about, like, oh, we have a setting that stands out, but, like, it actually makes an impact on the plot of the episode. Sure. Um, and ends at the end of the episode. Like, it's not just a setup for more serialized arc stuff it furthers some of that, but it also has kind of a beginning, middle and end within the episode itself and everything. Um, So yeah, I mean, I haven't watched it in a little while. I probably should have figured this out and watched it before we started talking. (laughs) Um, And again, it is hard to remember the arc stuff, like what even happens in all of these episodes. Um, Yeah. You know, but like as the beginning of, 
sowing the seeds of where, especially feel like where the romantic plot lines end up going. Um, It's starting to lay the groundwork for Angel and Cordy having, you know, uh, kind of only half acknowledged feelings for each other, Mm -hmm. um, half acknowledged even to themselves. Um, They're kind of still in their their denial phase, which continues pretty much until the end of the season. Um, And, you know, whereas it's bringing Fred and Gunn together more openly of them starting to acknowledge openly the way they feel about each other. And while also pushing Wesley out of that plot and in retrospect, starting to isolate him, you know, and kind of show that, in more ways than one, but this is one way in which he doesn't really have a place within the group of everybody else is sort of growing closer and pairing off. And he's the kind of lone figure, you know, who's the leader of the group, but also kind of isolated by himself. Um, Right. And so like, that's, you know, that's a good, you know, I guess standalone episode. You know, is it, it has its own story to tell, but it's also kind of furthering that larger arc as well, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, so I got to talk about mine now, right? Yeah. Um, A little more uh, embedded in the arc stuff, I guess, but it is kind of its own episode. Uh, I chose Birthday. which is the episode where uh, Cordy has such strong visions that she ends up going into a coma and then ends up um, sort of doing like a, a, it's a wonderful life thing with Skip, right? Like uh, where it's kind of like, oh, if you had it over to do again, you know, and could do, do, could have your druthers, so to speak. Um, yeah. You know, here's here's what it would be like. You were, you know, Skip says like, oh, you were sort of meant to be an actress and, and now you can choose to do that instead of having taken on the visions or whatever. And, and she gets to sort of see what happens in that instance. And so we get like, you know, the, the somewhat delightful, you know, Cordy, like her own TV show and whatever, um, you know, and she's a well-known actress, you know. Um, maybe not like the most successful ever, but you know, she has her own show show and kind of is doing her own thing. And, um, but they're, you know, still kind of nagging at her that there's something she's supposed to be doing with, um, this idea. So it's sort of, you know, it's still sort of embedded in this whole, you know, idea that she has a destiny and that she's sort of that, you know, way back in season one, when, Doyle gave her the visions that mm-hmm. is sort of triggered a you know domino effect or whatever t- that's leading her somewhere that she doesn't even really know where yet um but it is also kind of seminal and in, in the insofar as it's an episode where she really has to make that choice like it's you know the Doyle thing was that like he gave it to her and I mean she's made choices as far as like you know avoiding the whole com shock thing with grew and getting the potion so that, you know, mm-hmm. like grew wouldn't 
take the visions from her and whatever. And so like, there's, there's those kind of things, but like, those are sort of reactive and, and maybe not passive in a way, but sort of protective or whatever. Whereas this is like, actually like, she's like, nope, I'm actively choosing to have these visions and choosing to, you know, not just, it's not just a resolution, but actually, you know, changing her physiology and, and nature, yeah. you know, and, and accepting the possibility of being a demon, uh, you know, without not really understanding what all that entails. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel like even though it's maybe even a little more embedded in sort of the art stuff than waiting in the wings, like it is a really good sort of pivotal episode mm -hmm. to talk through. Um, also sort of to talk about skip for a minute, mm -hmm. um, you know, an unexpected return because I think mm -hmm. yeah. when, you know, we originally see him and well, when we originally see him is, um, in that vision thing way at the beginning of the uh, season, you know, it was the second episode in the season um, where angel, well, Cordy's having again, really bad visions, um, which we later learn are sort of artificially being given to her right by um, Kumar. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, you know, she's having these really bad visions and in order to save her angel, has to go to this hell dimension and that and he meets skip and turns out that skips like on the good good guys team right he's mm -hmm. he's with the higher powers and and protecting um or not protecting but like guarding mm -hmm. this really evil human um who, who comes back later and billy and whatever we find out more about him but um like i kind of feel like at that point we're like okay there's this skip guy that angel beats up and and you know lets the prisoner out or whatever. Um, and we're not really expecting to see him again. So when we see him again in birthday, it's kind of like, Oh, like we know who he is. Obviously Cordy doesn't, um, and angel doesn't see him again. So right. it's not like, you know, there's an introduction that can be made or whatever, but it's kind of like, Oh, well maybe, maybe skip is a little more involved in things than we first thought. Like maybe he's not quite, yeah. just just the uh sort of commuting uh corrections officer that you know he sort of t you know leads angel to believe he is um which of course then brings the question of okay well exactly how involved <laughs> is he in yeah. this stuff um you know he seems to be maybe like a jack of all trades for the powers that be or whatever um and then you know we see him again in tomorrow uh, the last episode in the season where, you know, he actually like stops time and, and is like, mm -hmm. you know, telling Cordy about her destiny and, and offering her another choice. And kind of now that you have this trust built up, you know, based on what you see in birthday, you get to see skip, you know, again, and, and Cordy's now like, okay, you know, I understand like, this is the choice I really have to make. Like, everything up till now was just kind of like not pretend, but like practice, I guess, um, you know, and, and yeah, you know, for better or worse, like here's, here's the choice before me. And, and, yeah. you know, again, skip sort of a part of that as a, a conduit to the higher powers or, or whatever. So. 
Right, right. Well, um, and so... Yeah, go on. No, you can... Sorry. No, 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 no. I didn't really. I was just going to sum up something or other, but go ahead. I didn't really know what I was going to say, so feel, so, feel free to jump in. <laughs> yeah, two things kind of, if I can remember them, to back to me. Um, so we didn't talk about Skip last time because we talked about the ambiguity of the ending with Cordy. You know, and I feel like we should have talked about Skip because he is an important factor in that. Because one of the the things we suggested was, what if this isn't as straightforward as it looks? Like, potentially, could this be... Okay, so Skip is there, which suggests that it's legitimate on the part that this is actually the powers that be. You know, like the fact Skip's presence, because he's built up this trust that with with Cordy and with the audience, you know, it's like he's there in a way to kind of say, yes, this is a legitimate thing that the powers that be are doing. Now, again, could this be a test that Cordy fails rather than succeed? There's that possibility. Um, But we had suggested that, like, what if this isn't the powers that be at all? What if this is a trap of some kind of, like, Cordy's Mm -hmm. being beamed up to god knows where and what's on the other end of this but i think if you say that then you have to account for skip you know what what is the source of skip's involvement in that um and so he's kind of if that's a little mystery that is hanging over the end of the season he's part of the 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 data set that you have to sort of account for um and so And the other thing, too, is like, so he's connected with the powers that be in all three of his appearances, but he's also connected with Cordy, which is interesting. Like, even in that vision thing, like, even though his job is separate, it's like his job is to guard Billy. Like, it's still in the episode that has to do with Cordy's visions. So, like, he's indirectly, he he doesn't quite intersect with the Cordy plot, but, like, it's a Cordy centric story mm-hmm. that he's, and so it's interesting then that like both of the next times we see him, he is transferred to being her sort of spiritual guide. Um, so like, yeah, like this connection, not just with the higher powers, but specifically with Cordy's destiny as it relates to her visions and her choices and her ascending to this higher plane of existence and all that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's an interesting little he has his own little character arc going on um yeah yeah and like i assume other characters are going to wonder what happened to cordy you know um right because no uh, one else knows what's going on I wonder, I would guess that we'll see Skip again. Like that, like, Mm. it'll come down to a matter of him maybe being the the keeper of this information and somehow they have to get out of him or get his cooperation or something. Sure. And I mean, just extrapolating out, like Cordy was the one with the visions. Who's going to have those visions now? Or, you know, like, are they going to transfer to someone else or as a higher power, is she going to be the one like sending visions or, Mm. you know, like what, what's going on at this point with that kind of thing? Like, where does, 
where does even the mission right you know right. that, Who's that, the that was the, of whole, the mission now yeah yeah that was the whole start was that doyle ha- was having these visions and they were guiding angel to kind of work with higher powers but now th- that you know with cordy ascending that link is actually broken it's not mm-hmm. like strong it's not like oh now we have someone on the inside it's like how does that right how does that translate i mean maybe maybe she can contact them somehow but we don't we don't know like what's going right. on so i should also mention i can't remember i may have mentioned this before sorry if this is like something i've already said um skip the name comes from uh one of the producers and, and directors um who was both in Buffy and Angel, uh, Skip Schoolnick. Uh, yes. So uh, just kind of a funny thing there. It's just like, you know, you don't expect a demon to be named Skip. Although My... I guess you don't. No, I was going to say you don't expect a demon named Clem either. But anyway. This is true. I think you have mentioned that before. That sounds familiar. Um, My first car was named Skip. Oh, wait, no. Second car. Sorry. <laughs> Get my cars mixed up. Um, so there you go. Uh, so I'm fond of that name, not named after Angel, obviously, because I hadn't seen it. Um, yeah. Okay. Or I guess actually Skip Schoolnick wasn't in, didn't do anything with Buffy. I guess it's just Angel that he was, uh, affiliated with, but anyway. Neither here nor there. Just that's where the name is from. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the Darla into Connor stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, I mean, you do get a pretty final resolution of the Darla character, and one of the things I found interesting, um, and so, and on the. Um, DVDs, and I think you said you watched the Darla mm-hmm. part, right? Um, yeah. One of the things I think that was interesting was how they, uh, it might have even been Julie Benz who was saying that, um, you know, really kind of the goal here was to take a character who was really kind of hated and despised and turn her into someone where by the time she dies, you really feel sorry for her and, and don't want her to die. And I think. <laughs> As much as, as much as like, we've already talked about sort of the disappointment that is Connor and Holtz and Justine and Drew. (laughs) Any others? Did I forget anyone? Um, Like, I think they did a really good job with doing Mm -hmm. that with Darla and making her, you know, without ever really changing her from her true nature of a vampire who you know, is bent on destruction, but also motivated by a type of love right. or, you know, maybe love isn't quite the right word, but you know, what, whatever it right, is that right. she feels for Angel. Um, I do, you know, I do think they did a really good job. And then, uh, you know, in showing sort of how the pregnancy affects her and, right. you know, the soul of her child, uh, yeah, you know, can kind of change her into something loving, loving enough to recognize that she's going to change back and want to kill it. And so she kills herself and, and has that sacrifice. And I think that's why it works, because I feel like um, 
the impulse with Buffy and Angel is to want to, um, like, the more you get to know the characters and even the vampire characters is, is the impulse is to humanize them and make them sympathetic. But it's always that thing of how do you retain the horror of them being vampires if you make them really sympathetic? And I feel mm -hmm. like there's always some, for the ones, like whether it's Angel with his soul or it's Spike with his chip, it's always like there's some reason why they are. They're not just your regular vampire. Like there's some thing about them that affects their behavior in such a way that you're allowed to have kind of maybe a little bit more empathy for them or something. And so yeah. it's like, I feel like it wouldn't necessarily work if it was just Darla just all of a sudden had loving feelings just out of the blue. It's the fact that the pregnancy has a, the, a pregnancy like this has never happened and it has a particular effect on her and the way that they kind of reason that, well, she has this, life growing in her that has a soul of its own mm -hmm. and so like uh, the relationship of like a host and a parasite there's like a symbiotic relationship there yeah. as long as this thing is in her she's going to be humanized by it and that's the tragedy is that like it's only because of that that you feel sympathy but then it's because of that that she has to go because mm -hmm. she knows and we know that as soon as the baby's born she's gonna switch back yeah and so like it necessitates her ending as a story which is kind of like the best kind of tragedy is like when you're both really sorry for the character's ending but you also know like it really couldn't have ended any other way um sure. like it had to go down the way it did um which makes you both really sad and kind of weirdly satisfied at the same time <laughs> mm -hmm. like i don't know if that's kind of maybe the definition of like a good tragic storyline is like yeah you're kind of relieved at the same time as you're really sorry you know that it ended the way that it did mm -hmm. um so yeah um i think it was a yeah i think it was a good resolution for her character and you know it is i whether or not every aspect of the connor story works it is interesting how it basically is one story it just kind of they switch over halfway through like it's really connor is the story of the season it's mm -hmm. just that you start with a pregnancy which leads to a birth which leads to a baby which leads to like a grown-up son right. or child or whatever um, and you don't necessarily realize that that's the story of the season, but it evolves kind of gradually, which I like. Um, like in retrospect, that's a nice kind of, you know, has a nice progression to it. Sure. Um, like if you kind of think like, well, Angel's fatherhood is the story of the season. Um, taking that from conception through to like at least an ending if not the ending of that story right <clears throat> so yeah um, connor so <laughs> you had mentioned that connor's story isn't necessarily a fan favorite and comes under criticism so i'm yeah i'm curious to well, know is it is it um 
and and also with the understanding that it's not over yet. Like we will get more yet, Connor, yes. you know. So right. I don't want to give anything away there. No, um, and so you don't give anything away. But a question, that, like I'm curious, like is it is it the stuff with the baby that is um is the problem? Is it the grown up Connor? Is it both? More is it, more grown know, up Connor. More I think, grown up Connor. Okay. I, I and. I mean, when I was saying that, I think I was saying it still when he was a baby. Um, gotcha. But so I didn't know if there was like a right. distinction there. Like, I, I mean, I think because when he's a baby, you know, it's just a baby. Like, it's sure. it's it's Holtz and Wesley and Angel and Wolfram and Hart all kind of having their own agenda. Mm-hmm. And at that point, like, Connor's just sort of a MacGuffin, right? Like, Yeah, right. You know, I mean, he doesn't really do anything. It's just mm-hmm. a baby that they're all trying to get a hold of. Um, so, yeah, it's okay. more, it's more so of the it's older stuff. So it's the characterization stuff. of Connor um, as he grows that is maybe the problem. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that. I think it's the actor <laughs> mm-hmm. to a certain extent um, and the acting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so there was a... Um, actually an interview that Vincent Carthizer gave um, around 2007. Um, And he just, like, I think, you know, okay, so this is five years later, you know, whatever, retrospect. He's now into Mad Men at that point, right, as Pete. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so... You know, he he talks about you know trying to to avoid any spoilers, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like he just talks about like how he wasn't really like he wasn't in this show. This is like like you know how we have like Michelle Trachtenberg becoming Dawn, and like yes. she was a fan of the show mm-hmm. and was like bugging Joss mm-hmm. to be on it, whatever. Vincent Carthizer is like the complete opposite end of that spectrum. Like mm-hmm. if we can if we can have him you know, be out there. Like he didn't even know the show. He didn't watch it. He didn't care about it. He wasn't ever. So, um, like his, his sort of, you know, again, this being several years later and now he's on a different show, his sort of like rendition of that is like, yeah, you know, every week I'd show up and have a scene with Cordelia and then Angel would show up and we'd have some sort of conflict. And like, like that to him was just kind of like what it was. (laughs) And it's Mm -hmm. like, um, he also said that like, uh, there was a real sense on Angel that people were just doing a job. The grips, the DP, even the directors would just kind of show up, do their job and then go home. And then comparing that to Mad Men where, you know, people love the show and stuff. And that's just such a different characterization than you hear with anyone else who was involved with like any Whedon production. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think. You know, I mean, this is just me reading into like this interview, and he goes on there. He mentions other stuff about Angel and whatever. Um, you know, but like just sort of his whole attitude, at least based in that thing, was that like he just really wasn't that into his role either. So I don't know if that also affects some of it. Just you know, his whole portrayal and the whole attitude that he brought as an actor to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether or not that really affected some of the stuff that was going on but you know i mean we'll definitely have more to talk about with connor because again you know he's not he's not gone by any means um Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, we can continue talking about his arc as, as we go through. I, I just feel, I don't know. I like, he, you know, he is a young character in the show and, you know, like as far as like the angsty, you know, mm-hmm. he does do kind of the brooding thing, you know, which, okay, that's appropriate for Angel's son, I guess. But like, mm-hmm. you know, it just is kind of very, eh. You know what just occurred to me, um, which kind of cracks me up, is like, um, I'm not necessarily saying that there's no difference or that they one isn't a better in the result than the other, but it's weirdly like Dawn. Um, And both of them have come under a fair amount of criticism, which is like interesting that they would do this a season later because you have characters who it's like in like, you know, several seasons into the show, you introduce a young teenage angsty somewhat whiny character who's suddenly fully formed and grown that didn't exist before. But like you have like, you know, Dawn appearing out of thin air and then you've got like kind of suddenly grown up Connor. And it's just like, it is kind of like after you went through the growing pains of introducing Dawn, which maybe we like to greater than like, you know, uh, is the, the, the received wisdom of fandom or whatever. Um, but it wasn't without its problems. Let's put it that way. Um, sure. It's interesting to me that they go, let's try that again <laughs> with, with like, you know, like whether they yeah. thought of it that way, I don't know, but it's like, it's kind of a very similar thing that they're doing. Um, yeah. I- and, and it has a similar kind of problem of like, you suddenly introduce this this angsty teenage character out of nowhere, which people aren't necessarily going to just warm to super easily. Um, they're not the yeah. easiest characters to like, and 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 I would, I'm not saying that they are the same. So, no, no, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, so I will defend Don. Right. You'll and never I, really see me defending Con. And I would too. That's kind of what I'm saying is like, I don't necessarily think that the result is the same. Yeah. But like, it feels like it's playing with some of the same pitfalls as Dawn was and if, and maybe even doing them worse. So um, it's sort of funny to me that, I mean, they have to have looked back at season five and gone, all right, if the audience has a tough time with Dawn, maybe there's some problem here, even if it's not a total failure. Um, but then it doesn't seem like they necessarily applied that to yeah, I don't, of like, what and, did we learn from that? You know, And maybe they thought there were enough differences because this isn't, it's not like a magically created right. son. I mean, you know, except for, you know, vampires can't have babies, but like, right you know, it's, you know, it's a human and he grows up naturally. It just happens to be in a different dimension where time passes at a different rate, you know, and yes. that kind of thing. So, I mean, there's magic involved, but it's not like, you know, Don is this ball of energy that, you know, suddenly yeah. is formed into a, you know, yeah. human being or whatever. Um, so like maybe they thought there were enough differences of that 
variety right. that it would be more believable or whatever. Um, right. I, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of that thing of, I think there's a combination in the acting and, mm. um, you know, it, like, I don't know. Again, like maybe, maybe let's continue just sort of watching and seeing where it goes. Um, and, and we can talk about it into the next season as well. Um, and maybe keep an eye out for why it doesn't quite work as well mm-hmm. as maybe it could have. Um, not to prejudice you in any way. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're like, at an hour here. So let's talk about um, the other stuff. And I feel like we've talked a lot already around Wesley and Cordy and Mm -hmm. the different arcs and stuff. So maybe this is just sort of like touching up and seeing where we, you know, left off. I mean, Wesley's betrayal, I've said from the beginning, you know, I think Wesley's character is one of the most interesting Mm-hmm. arcs you know from where he started on Buffy to where he ends up and we're not at the end of mm-hmm. his character by any means so yeah. um you know things get really dark for him mm-hmm. um you know even even just in the season like not even taking account the larger you know arc you know like from from him and Cordy and on Buffy you know having flirty you know whatever and kissing at one point and not working out like to now like we've got lila in bed with him you know and like he's despise he despises her you know probably despises himself a little Mm -hmm. uh or a lot um Mm -hmm. and and you know just like very very dark everything he's doing is just kind of along this almost self-destructive you know path um Mm -hmm. not entirely though because like he's still like he hasn't tried to kill himself or allow yeah i mean you know like he still seems to be wanting to live but but doesn't seem to have any kind of real purpose or you know even even when like even when he lost his seat you know on the watchers council like you know, he became a rogue demon hunter, you know, and like that kind of like he always seems to have have had some kind of purpose or destiny or not destiny, maybe, but like right. some, you know, he, he had a self-driving purpose anyway. And he's just lost all of that at this point. And, right. you know, accompanied by that is sort of a gaining of a, a certain bitterness and um well brooding and you know all of those sorts of things uh and and his scruffiness and you know just kind of like this you know completely different attitude and darkness to his character that is very different than anything Mm -hmm. we've seen before i think right and like the loss of the humor is the most notable aspect of that to me because like you said like even when he went through dark times um he always had a certain whether we were laughing with him or laughing at him it always had a certain humor to the character that like yes depressed wesley goes rogue but like that is sort of a slightly comedic thing you know or like even in his most competent moments was still 
a little bit goofy, a little bit, you know, awkward in the way that he went about things. I feel like that's the biggest difference since that, since his decision, you know, and, and the fallout from it is like, there's a lack of any humorous aspect to it at all. Like, you know, other than of the most bitter, ironic, sarcastic kind, you know, like there's no sense of him making the best of a bad situation. It's just wallowing and, and brooding, like you said. Um, and maybe not totally, maybe not totally hopeless yet, but, but pretty humorless, I think. Um, so yeah, yeah. Which is like a huge difference from everything that we've seen. Um, and I think, you know, we talked about a bunch of other titles for this episode that were kind of connecting some of the themes between the two series and everything. And I feel like the Wesley stories doing the kind of thing we talk about with BSG a lot, which is like that kind of everybody's wrong and everybody's right kind of storylines of like, Mm. they're all the victim and they're all the bad guy. It depends sort of everybody's been wronged and everybody thinks of themselves as the wronged party. And yet you can't point to a person who's made all good choices either. Um, And they've hurt each other as well. Um, I feel like that kind of really connects with, you know, Wesley in this, in the end of this season. Um, I'm sure sure has that self-loathing and realizes his own failures and his own mistakes and yet feels cast out and unheard by Angel and his friends for what he thought of as doing the right thing or trying to. Um, So... Yeah. yeah, and in and in response to that is uh, flirting with the dark side, and in a way, kind of confirming the things that they are thinking about him. Of like, well, he is this traitor, so now he's in bed with Lila. Um, so kind of edging, even, maybe even closer towards that, you know, conception of him than he maybe really was to begin with. Sure. So yeah, um, having a good story despite the involvement in Connor's story, um, <laughs> you know, or just because the the stories interact doesn't mean that you know they're all totally yeah. dependent on each other. Like there are separate well, trajectories going and, on here. And Wesley's interaction with Connor pretty much ends when Connor's still a baby. Yeah, sure. Right. That's when his throat gets cut and Mm -hmm. Connor's taken away from him and, and all that. And then after that, he's in the hospital and, you know, then out on his own, like he doesn't interact with adult Connor at all that I think that I can think of. Right. Just seeing him in the, in the bar at the end. Um, right when they right, go right. fighting but so he knows about him but hasn't really interacted with him right sure sure um we've talked a bit about the love and relationship stuff um as well as like cordy's destiny i don't is there any other aspects to all of that that you want to talk through 
Um, I don't think so. I think we covered most of the stuff that I wanted to say. Um, I mean, I guess like just pointing out again that Cordy's, you know, again, you wouldn't necessarily have known it from the beginning, but you, in hindsight, you can see that she had a very clear storyline this season of coming into her, her destiny or her, you know, full character or whatever, um, mm -hmm. of really accepting the visions and then growing from that and growing by leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's really only halfway through the season, like you said, with birthday that she fully accepts the visions. And by the end of it, she's in this whole ascension to a higher plane. Um, so, you know, yeah, things do um, escalate pretty quickly there, don't they? Like, right. Like that meme of like, well, that escalated quickly. Like one of those yeah. things of like, you know, but I don't know that it, I guess it felt a little bit surprising at times, but again, going back, you can see how the seeds of that are planted. Like with that vision sure. thing earlier on where the, 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 the storyline of the visions was building to the point where we had to address it. Um, so, um, and like, yeah, who'd have, who'd have thunk that it would be Cordy from way back in season one of Buffy who ends up being this kind of angelic, you know, figure at the end, like literally like robed in white and in golden light and ascending into heaven you know, like the paragon of virtue and angel, like <laughs> that's an interesting place to take, you know, Cordelia yeah. back from the beginning. So, yeah, um, right. And, and I don't at all want to have my statement about Wesley's character or like imply anything about, you know, not, not seeing that with like Cordy or, sure, or even yeah. angel or, you know, whoever, um, because, yeah, no, you're right. Like, I mean, her, she's there from the beginning in Buffy. And, and yeah, like, I mean, we're three seasons into Angel. So what what happens with her from here on out, you know, mm -hmm. is also a question. Because it won't be the last time we see, you know, uh, uh, Charisma Carpenter. Sure. Anyway. Um in one form or another. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And, right, so, you know, whatever love triangles existed, I mean, Gru's gone. Cordy's gone. <laughs> Can't have Angel's a triangle. Gone. Yeah, Angel's <laughs> in the bottom of the ocean. Uh, Wesley's kicked out of the fold. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I mean, Fred and Gunn have been together now and, and are the only ones around even, you know, by the end of the episode, even Lauren's yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Lots of stuff that we can, um, wait a month and a half to get back to. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So on to, uh, BSG, I guess. Yeah. Um, you had some production notes, I believe. I do. Did you want to, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to point out Michael Taylor, who wrote this episode. Um, this is his second episode. He also wrote Unfinished Business with the boxing. Um, and I want to right. point them out because um, it's not quite the same, but there's a similar kind of technique here of 
cross-cutting. Um, whereas there, it was more between um, flashbacks. So you'd have like the cutting between, you know, them boxing on the stage and then dancing on the stage and that kind of you have the sure. same you have the same characters but you're cutting between time periods and it kind of leads you towards certain implications of like what are they thinking and similarities and how time passes and all that kind of thing um and this doesn't do it with flashbacks but it does cut between the different storylines um and like mm. every show cuts between storylines but this cuts like in the middle of storylines like it's like you'll cut from one scene and someone says a line and then you cut to the other scene where someone says a line um particularly sure. towards the end where you have like baltar and some of the interrogation stuff like kind of basically alternating with like lee and d talking in the bar um and right. so i feel like it's a similar uh type of technique of where you're taking and juxtaposing different things and kind of it it leads you towards um certain lines of thought that maybe wouldn't otherwise um so he's kind of a, a maybe a more poetic writer which is interesting hmm. um and then on top of that i think you have to assume that some of that has to do with the director who was uh edward james Olmos. um you know because it's his also it's his decision of where to cut things um and he might shoot scenes separately and then move them around move them around a bit um in the sure. editing room or whatever um and and he does things with a particular kind of visual flair that complements that i think that like especially the like hallucination and all that is very stylized and very symbolic yeah. and poetic and everything so it kind of fits with the writing um hmm. and then okay so then on the kind of slightly sillier front um the title um uh a line from the cheers theme song uh which you know they originally were going to call this episode where everybody knows your name okay. um, because of the bar um the idea was we built a bar so we have gotcha. to reference cheers in the title and then maybe that was a little too on the nose so they chose a different line which is taking a break from all your worries. Um, which yeah, I did I not kind of, pick up that that was from. I Cheers. don't know the Cheers theme song well enough to pick up on that, so maybe it does its job of like other, other than the obvious line where everybody knows. Yeah. Me. Um, yeah. So I feel like it does its job in that, like, it's a reference that you don't realize is a reference until you kind of Google it or whatever. Um, yeah. And but it, I kind of like it because I feel like it is very um it's a very morbid juxtaposition with like what actually goes on in this episode of like taking a break from all your worries sounds like a nice relaxing escape um whereas like everything is pretty terrible for everybody in this episode like nobody actually gets a break from anything um so i just like the kind of dark humor of that um, sure. So it started out as a kind of Cheers reference, but I think actually like kind of works well as like a a kind of you know uh, ironic title. Yeah. 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 I mean, certainly. Yeah, you're right. Like taking a break from all your worries is 
the opposite of what happens to pretty much everyone in this episode. Mm -hmm. um, at least the people we see. I don't know. Maybe everyone else at the bar is all okay and having a sure. good time. Um, but yeah. Uh, so speaking of people who don't get breaks from their worries, um, let's start with Baltar. Okay. Um, that lullaby he's singing at the hmm. beginning. Yeah. Kind of kind of creepy there. Um, as he's like fashioning a noose. Yes. Um, out of his out of like bed sheets or whatever like i'm not sure we we know exactly yeah what he's using but um and so i mean not the this isn't the first time where we sort of have him doing something and it's kind of like you know again there's always this question of is is head six some kind of uh is it is it psychological or is it some sort of beamed, uh, you know, implementation from the Cylons, you know, whether directly or indirectly or whatever. Um, but yeah, this, this idea that like, you know, he, he goes through all the trouble, makes news and then it's like head six that kicks the chair out from underneath them. Right. Like, right. like how much control does he, or conscious control anyway, does he have over, what he's even doing. Um, and I think that's kind of him this whole episode, right? Like, I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's that sort of thing, but there's also the, you know, fact that he's force fed and, you know, given these sort of MK ultra style drugs and, uh, you know, put under sedation and whatnot. So like there, like there's a lot of stuff that happens to Baltar um, and this maybe goes even to kind of your reference earlier when we were talking about Angel of, um, you know, what's the, of, of figuring out where the line is between victim and, and active participant and, mm. um, you know, someone who's doing evil, like, you know, there is a sense in, in which a lot of the stuff that Baltar is going through now is not of his own making. And, and even, to the point where, like, when he's being questioned, like, you see, like, if this drug is supposed to tell you the truth, the truth is that he doesn't know the truth, right? Like, the truth is kind of that, like, he's not sure if he actually colluded or, you know, maybe he did have suspicions in the back of his mind, but, you know, he chose to ignore them. And does, is that, give you know, does that mean he has the same level of, like, does that make him a conspirator or just someone who's grossly out of touch with his own thoughts and feelings? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah. and, and to what extent do you blame someone who maybe should have known better, but, but didn't, right. or at least didn't figure it out in time. Um, right. Right. And so, yeah, I just, I, I, I really find that like when he, like, like there's a sort of, I mean, I know obviously the whole point of giving him the sort of interrogation drugs is to get him to talk earnestly about things that he's sort of being coy about, you know, otherwise. And so there is a sort of earnestness, though, I think, to like his expression and his eyes and like, you know, like, the, the did I, did I really 
do this thing that, you know, did I conspire or, or did I not conspire? Like, I don't really, I don't really know. And, yeah. um, you know, later when Roslyn is sort of reflecting on her own failings or whatever you want to call them, um, you know, she's talking about, I just wanted him to confess. And it's like, you know, Adama's like, well, he's not, that's, you're not going to get that from him because he's not that kind of person. But I also kind of think like Adama's wrong in his implication. Like, I think Adama's like thinking like, oh, Baltar is so slippery. Like he'll say anything, you know, Mm -hmm. that can like be used one way or the other. But I think, I don't think that's quite right either. Like, I think Baltar actually doesn't know and isn't really sure how, what level of, blame he has um and that makes it that much harder to sort of like prosecute him right (laughs) um you know like when like yeah again like maybe if he was with the tall blonde that you know uh roslyn saw him with like does that necessarily mean that he you know was fully cooperating or was he being duped or you know Mm. whatever um and and i i you know, I guess I like that aspect of it, that it is pretty ambiguous. Like, you're not entirely sure what he actually believes. Um, yeah. As far as that goes, so. Right, or or more so that he doesn't even know what to believe. Um, yeah, and... Um, Yeah, like the the you kind of articulated that the question of to what extent is are his impulses controlled by head six or are they his own? And if they are controlled by her, who is she? What is she? And like I feel like I mean it's been explicit, but it really becomes explicit here when he kind of says, you know, um, you know, she, is she an angel or is she a demon? Is she imaginary or is she real? Like, this is the first time he's really, if the, if the truth drug gets him to say anything in a confessional way, it's in a way that's kind of it is just this question of, I have this imaginary person who, um, I still don't know, you know, she could be any of those things. Um, you know, and, and, yeah uh you know and like the part about conspiracy requires intent you know and yeah that's the whole uh i well i mean is it the question with baltar i mean and i think like Rosalind and adama i feel like we do talk about baltar as if he is this extremely devious and slippery person who just weasels and talks his way out of everything and to a certain extent that's true but as you say here it's like you give him the truth serum and he doesn't really say anything differently than he normally does like it's not like yeah normally he's lying and here he's telling the truth it's like no he kind of just says the same stuff he's been saying which is that it's not me it's not all my fault I didn't intend to do anything. I'm in the wrong. And yeah, I made mistakes, but so did everybody else. And why are you looking at me? And like, it's the same stuff he said all along. Um, Like the first time they thought they caught him in the act of treachery and they were putting him 
in jail and everything is like, he said the same stuff then. So mm-hmm. if he is responsible, at least what it is that he's saying, he believes it. Um, right. You know, he, conspiracy requires intent and he never intended, you know, he didn't give her, you know, sensitive seek he did he give her sensitive information yes but it wasn't intended to kill people you know to cause you know the genocide or whatever um yeah you know and i and i keep going back to um after uh the one with bulldog where um where adama's beating himself up and Rosalind kind of says look like we all did a million things over the course of 40 years that paved the way yeah. for these attacks to happen. And I refuse to let you blame yourself because it was more than just one person. It had to have happened. Multiple people had to make many mistakes over a long period of time in order for this to happen. And it's like, well, then you've got to include Baltar in that too. Like, and I don't think Rosalind wants to, I think she wants him to be, the bad guy like and that's her realization at the end is i want him to confess to being the bad guy so that we can prosecute him and give him you know serve justice on him and then we can all heal and move on and be satisfied with having defeated the bad guy and and absolve themselves of the very things that she was saying to adama about a lot of people made mistakes Right. And so is it back again with like the circle where like, are the people who are on trial to blame some of them? Yeah, but not exclusively and not to the exclusion of the people doing the trial, you know, like, is it a way of absolving your own guilt by just kind of scapegoating somebody else? And I'm glad you brought up the circle because there is a sense of like, we're returning to that. And it's like, well, why is why is that happening? Like, why is, you know, Rosalind suddenly okay with the torture and the, you know, whatever, just because it's Baltar, I guess, you know, like... I kind of think so. Where, where yeah, yeah. you know, where's the forgiveness and everyone gets a pardon, you know, whatever. Um, right, which is kind and, of why her line about every human being on this fleet is was conspicuous at the time of like Baltar wasn't on the fleet. He didn't get, you know, blanket pardon forgiveness. I mean, but she's by willing, the end of the episode, she arrives there, but it, she's willing to go full in on him. Well, not quite. Cause he's going on trial. Well, this is true. That's like, true. Like that's not forgiveness. Right. That's not a true pardon. <laughs> it's it's yeah, not. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what she's saying she wouldn't do for the rest of the fleet. So, right you know i mean other than you know like it's a good narrative story to tell like like there is that sense of like no but i think it's it's better because it is personal at this point i think between rosalind and baltar you know Um, um like i think she feels a a hatred for him that doesn't extend to everybody else you know, even the people who've done bad things. Yeah. Well, and there is a sense, and, and, you know, like he talks about having a gun to his head and like, again, like we, we've seen that, but nobody else did. Right. Like it was only Baltar and a bunch of Cylons there at Mm -hmm. the time. So 
nobody knows the amount of duress that he was under, mm-hmm. um, which was indeed significant. Like everything he says, uh, you know, to Gaeta there at the end about, you know, him being under duress, whereas Gaeta did play both sides. Like mm-hmm. Gaeta could have quit and gone and done his own thing and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Baltar is right. Now, I, you know, I think we can give more, like we saw what Gaeta did and how he, you know, right. actually did save lives and stuff. Like, it's not like he, he, like, I don't think he's being quite as duplicitous as Baltar, you know, right. sort of implies. And I don't think Baltar was quite as helpful as he was saying right. he was with regard to like passing things or allowing Gaeta to do what he did. Mm-hmm. But again, that's like, that's the ambiguity of it all is like, we don't really know. Like maybe Baltar absolutely knew what Gaeta was doing and, Mm -hmm. and allowed it and didn't report it. At the same time, like maybe that's just because the Cylons never found out. Had the Cylons found out, you know, I could also see Baltar completely throwing Gaeta under the bus. Sure. You know, right. Right. And is, and, and, you know, yeah, maybe not reporting it isn't quite as, you know, helpful as it makes it sound of like, well, you didn't necessarily help either. Um, So he spins it a certain way. Nothing he says is necessarily untrue. Um, But he certainly has the gift of, of spin, you know, of how do I present this in such a way that sounds, you know, flattering to you know, to himself, um, and, you know, casts a a darker shadow on other people. Um, but it is hard to say that he really lies at any point. He doesn't, he doesn't flat out lie anyway. Um, more by implication and or omission. Um, Mm. but, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I you know, I don't know I don't know there's a lot more to talk about with Baltar other than just I mean he does go through quite the ordeal here. Mm-hmm. Um but he also, you know, comes out I mean, he gets stabbed in the neck, so like not great. But like but like he's like, he figures out what's going on. Like, he's, you know, he calls Gaeta out for betraying him. And, like, so here's the other thing, right? Like, I get that. I, I get that Roslyn and everyone and the others are just looking for an excuse to, like, throw him out in their lap. Okay. Yep. Right. But, like, say they do get a confession of him. Like, no such confession. I mean... All right. Again, recognizing that colonial law is like different sure. from like modern United States law and whatever. So maybe it would be perfectly fine. But yeah. like using weird experimental drugs and whatever, like none of that would ever like hold up in a court of law, mm-hmm. you know, as like th- these are coerced confessions, um, you know. Right. I don't know. It just seems very. Like, if your goal is to prosecute him, then this just seems like such thin ground. And not to mention the fact that, like, 
it's the very sort of thing that you accuse him of doing, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the this is the thing that I have a problem with um, from a character, not necessarily from a story perspective. Like I'm not saying it's problematic story wise, but from like mm -hmm. a Rosalind's character perspective, like mm -hmm. you know, you're doing the exact like if your claim is that Baltar innocently, not innocently, uh, uh, you know killed innocent people whether you know by dictat or whatever then like that's exactly what you're trying to do here and not that baltar is 100 percent innocent or whatever but there's you know again like bringing up the circle like there's a process here and even if it might technically be legal mm -hmm. it doesn't make it right you know the way that you're going about doing this right, right. um well and I kind of feel like it's not until the end they they dangle as they say the carrot um of the trial as like a thing to get him to cooperate but I don't even necessarily feel like until the end they even know they're going to give him a trial like I kind of feel like if they got a confession he'd be out that airlock like you said like it the goal isn't prosecution the goal is Rosalind But even even that Rosalind's like... own like convinced satisfaction um even that you need like the premise of a legal reason to like have a summary execution I, right like as, as the I guess <laughs> as, as, well as the, i mean again yeah. recognizing that colonial law is different than u.s law like mm -hmm. like the u.s president theoretically can't just like point to someone who's a citizen and has whatever right. rights and say kill that person right like like you would at least have to have some sort of like imminent threat and whatever like even even for treason like even if you were like saying like i have proof of their treason and we mm -hmm. have this confession and whatever like you still before you put them to death you still need a lot like there's there has to be like short of like they have a gun and are pointing it at you or or you know have told you there's a bomb somewhere or something like mm -hmm. like they're short of some kind of imminent threat like that which baltar clearly is not mm -hmm. in this case like he's in he's under arrest he's in their custody like you can't just kill someone legally legally right. i'm saying like i mean sure, sure yeah. you can do it like right. <laughs> nothing stopping you from killing them per se but yeah. but legally you can't do that and so like Again, my like, I just. I guess I'm this just is more... this is this is a whole this is a whole area of, you know, thing where they sort of use the 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 like ignorance about what colonial law actually is to sort of like maybe right. resolve what might otherwise be plot issues. Sure. Um, but I do feel like that like, like I find it hard to believe that like if if the colonies are actually like as democratic as they seem to be <laughs> mm -hmm. with like elections of presidents and, and representatives and all of these things that we've seen the process for that, like they wouldn't also have like protections of like, yeah, you can't like legally just throw someone out in there. Uh, Cylon, that's a different story. We've mm -hmm. seen that, but people like, uh, I, I mean, we've I seen I'm, with the I'm... circle, but even that like Rosalind put the stop to and was just like, Right. You can't just do that. Right. She also told Adama to shoot Kane in the head. 
So, but at I'm, least that I can see as an imminent threat. So sure. you know what I mean? Like, like I see that as more of an imminent threat. Yeah, than... and I'm not arguing. I just, I guess, I'm just more willing to see Roslyn as uh, crossing that line with Baltar. Um, yeah, yeah. I... You know, and I'm not arguing that it's legal or moral or correct. You know, but I. You know, I feel like the decision of he gets a trial is a decision she arrives at. But in that case, why not just do it? Why go through the pretense of getting a confession? That's my point. Is like you go through you go through all this like we need to draw out a confession. We need to draw out a confession. Well, why? If you're just going to illegally kill him anyway, then why bother with with the confession stuff? Because because I feel like it's not just the confession of his guilt it's also the information that he has about the silence like when it starts more so the interrogation or at least half of it is about um what do the cylons know did they see the eye of jupiter do they know what it means are they headed to earth what did you tell them it's all that kind of thing and so it's not just about I think for Rosalind personally, it's his guilt to absolve her own decisions and guilt, but also it's um, that he has vital information about the enemy that they want to know. Um, And so I think that protects him to a certain extent anyway. Um, Yeah. Maybe. So, like, you're right. They do ask those questions. So, so I, I take the maybe back. Like, you're right. They do talk that. You know, they do ask him about that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I guess I can see that. Okay. <laughs> and we can, you know. Agree to disagree. It's been well. I just I'm not even happen, I'm not even but... trying to like disagree necessarily. I just they seem to go through a lot of t- trouble to draw out a confession from him. Like you're right, they do ask him about like what are the Cylons' plans and stuff. But then they go on like like once they're once they move on from those questions, it's like, mm-hmm. why, you know, still, why even bother drawing out that confession? Like, why, why continue to question that? Like, it's like, okay, you don't know anything about it, then you're useless to us. We're, we'll just throw you out in airlock. Mm-hmm. If, if the, if the point isn't, if they want to draw a confession out of him that has some sort of legal purpose, then the way they're going about it can't, it, it does not seem to me like this can hold up in any kind of legal mm-hmm. dispute the way that they go about torturing and using drugs and all mm-hmm. of these types of you know techniques and and not just like truth drugs but like experimental like you know mk ultra type drugs yeah. that you know right. goes back to mel gibson and conspiracy theory type thing you know like like mm-hmm. this is a very dubious legal ground Sure. So yeah. if 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 you're trying to draw a confession out for any kind of legal reasons, then it just doesn't make sense to me. If mm-hmm. if you're if you don't have a legal reason to draw out 
a confession, then why even bother? And mm-hmm. and I I guess I I can see like maybe to assuage her own guilt about killing him. It's like I want to kill you, but I want to feel good about it too. So like, I mean, I kind of feel like it's it's more that. I mean, that's kind of the the. The same I thing guess, as the circle I, of we have a kangaroo court so that this has the appearance of legality. Um, when, I guess, when but the, I also the don't result feel, is sort of predetermined. I, I just, like, again, like with Rosalind, it just doesn't seem to me like she cares that much. It doesn't seem like it, her conscience would bother her that much about Baltar. Anyone else sure. maybe. But like, but like to your point, to what you were saying, like you see her being that evil or whatever towards Baltar, like, like, yeah, like I think it seems to me like she could just throw him out in airlock and not lose a night's sleep over it. Sure. Um, sure. You know, whatever, but may I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I, I guess I just, it seems to me like, yeah, like the two sort of play, play out, like, if you need it for a legal reason, then this doesn't seem like it would hold up as a legal way to acquire mm-hmm. a confession. If you don't need it for, for a legal reason and you were just going to throw him out in airlock anyway, then why not just do it? And why go through the pretense? Sure. But th- that's just... I I agree that they did ask him sort of about what the Cylons' plans and stuff were. But once he didn't know anything about that, like, mm-hmm. his use goes you know his usefulness i should say goes way way down um sure uh sure no and, know, and i never necessarily when i was watching it a contradiction between those things never occurred to me um so i can't say that it ever seemed contradictory but like when you say it like that i can see what you mean um that there are two slightly different motivations that don't necessarily yeah um, and I don't I don't even want together so I don't even want to imply that like I think the story is flawed because I think that's a totally human thing to think like I think there are people in the real world who have that same kind of impetus. right like, contradictory yeah yeah like I'm gonna get your confession and I'm gonna beat it out of you and it's like well. Right. How good is that confession if, like, right. you know, the impetus, you know, is that, you know, they only confess to get you to stop hitting them. Like, right. Well, I mean, yes, torture is a thing in the world that some people believe right. is an effective tool. Um, and so, yes, this this debate is, yeah. um, so I, is, is far from irrelevant. So, yeah. I don't necessarily mean to say that, like, I think the episode's terrible because there is this potential contradiction. Cause I think, I think that's an actual contradiction, contradiction that people have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whatever. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it, whatever their motivations and however clear they are to themselves about them. I think you're right that it's not admissible in any sort of courtroom legal sense. And so whatever, he ends up saying you do get the sense of like they're not going to be able to use any of this (laughs) you know like you can't actually like if you're going to put him in a courtroom and do anything other than just take care of it yourselves in some back room um you're going to have to find another strategy because um 
threats, torture, hallucinogenic drugs, trickery, none of that really works as a strategy to actually like proving somebody's guilt. Um, so this is all the kind of trying the really like, this is trying the stick, you know, and all the different methods before they kind of finally kind of, I guess, exhaust the possibilities and realize that the only way to deal with it that actually it might absolve anybody's conscience is, is through, you know, the system, I guess. Um, but I mean, then you open the possibility that, you know, the system might not work for you. Um, which just made me think of Buffy, um, you know, having yeah. that same argument of like, I feel like, Dawn and Xander and Willow are kind of doing what Rosalind and Adama are doing here of like, why can't we just take care of it? You know? Um, yep. And, uh, you know, before arriving at the place of, well, flawed as it might be, um, uh, the, the, the courtroom is really the only, uh, you know, moral way to go about it sure all right um moving on from baltar um i mean can well we, we should bring up gata a little bit i was here gonna too. say can we talk about gata um, a little bit more so he he comes by in the middle of the night, whatever that means on a spaceship. Sure. Um, in the middle of his sleeping time. Right. Uh, well, the middle he, of most people's sleeping time, it seems like. Yeah, I, I mean, right. They they must keep some kind of like, yeah, you know, solar-esque clock. Right. Um, you know, like they would, like if you, you know, were in the Navy on a submarine. Right, here sure. on Earth, you know, they, they still keep, like, you know, yeah. standard time and people have their shifts and, and whatever. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, he goes to talk to Baltar, uh, ends up basically saving his life, you know, with the guard who comes in and sees him hanging and, you know, resuscitates him or whatever. Um later uh helps out you know when um the experimental drugs don't work and the you know torture and whatever don't work um sort of helps out as as the carrot right like he's the sort of representative to go in like he he was with yeah. baltar on new caprica and and is kind of a liaison or whatever and um at one time, at least, believed in Baltar as, like, the leader of, mm -hmm. you know, their group, the fleet, or whatever. Um, right, and Rosalind and, and Adama are maybe counting on a certain level of affinity that remains between them from when they used to work together. Um, and, and there does seem, at least on Baltar's part, there does seem to be that initially. Um, mm -hmm. Until he suspects that, correctly suspects that Gaeta is sort of baiting him, mm -hmm. you know, to try to get him to reveal something. Um, discovers the 
camera above them recording mm-hmm. everything and um sort of turns on on Gaeta. Um mm-hmm. and then, you know, we accuse him of being a traitor and whispers something. So we don't really know what he says to him. Um mm-hmm. but it makes Gaeta really mad <laughs> and so yeah. stabs him in the neck with a pen. Mm-hmm. Uh and then, you know, Adama comes in and punches Gaeta out. Yeah. They they try to fix uh Baltar. Well, they do. I mean, you know, they. Yeah. He misses any, you know, the juggler and the carotid, I guess. So right, he ends up right. being uh, okay to a certain extent. Um, just adds to like the other injuries he already has. But right. yeah. Um, so Gaeta, I mean, you know, it's, it's that thing of like, you know, we don't get Gaeta admitting it. But Rosalind sort of says to him, oh, the reason you were coming here in the middle of the night wasn't to talk to him. It was to kill him. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you also so. Which is, you know, at least more straightforward than Rosalind, you know, was going about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Like, it's not like like Gaeta didn't want to necessarily draw out a big confession or anything. It was sure. just like. Yeah, I'm coming down. I'm gonna kill him. And yeah, yeah, you know the irony there being, of course, he helps save his life first, and then right uh, when he does attempt to kill him, it's ineffective. Um, so yeah, well, yeah, and there's some, you know, lots of ambiguity I think around there of you know, um, like again, that's. I'm not necessarily saying she's wrong, but that's Rosalind's interpretation. You know, like you said, Gaeta doesn't actually confirm that one way or the other. Um, maybe cool. he doesn't know what he was going to do, you know, um, or maybe he did and he's just not sharing. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, it's possible that there's a little bit of her own projection onto him there of, you know, I know what you're feeling because this is what I'm feeling. I wish I could just kill him too. Um, you know, and it's kind of hard to say for sure. Um, but yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, obviously there's, you know, not a lot of resolution, uh, from Gata's time on New Caprica, you know, like, the last I feel like was with like collaborators when they really like, you know, examined that, but like didn't really kind of ended in a fairly unresolved place, you know, of, okay, he gets away, but it's like, it's not like he ever really reconciles with those people. Um, or, you know, we still haven't really heard a lot of his perspective on what he did, but we are left with the sense in that episode that he at least partially agreed with their judgment, even Mm. if he didn't fully agree with it. And I feel like we still don't have a lot of his inner thoughts here. Um, But like, but I feel like that ambiguity carries over of he both again, denies that he was a traitor and is, you know, firm about that. But at the same time, something Baltar is able to say, um, can push the button into 
more of a of a rage than we've seen before you know like before Mm. it was a kind of sure i deserve it and you can throw me out the airlock and it was more self-loathing here it's more outward it's like directed at baltar you know whether he meant to kill him the first time or whether it's just when he's in there in the impulse of the moment you know his anger turns towards baltar um Sure. You know, so he's being accused of something that hits a nerve, um, whether it's true or not, or, you know, whether it's just his own belief, it's, you know, it must be hitting some truth. Um, so, yeah, and we don't know what he whispers other than there's something about a secret. Like you hear like a word, the words about something about a little secret and that's it. Um, so that sort of left uh, dangling for the future it drives me crazy that there's no like debrief scene of like (laughs) you know like you feel like you really need adama and rosalind to step in here and say what is this about um but we don't get that um which i feel like is sure not necessarily like from a writing point of view whatever but like certainly from a character point of view I feel like there needs to be more probing and we're, we don't get it. Like we still like, mm. there's a lot of untold stories about um, certainly around Gaeta's time on New Caprica. I think that this kind of hints at, but doesn't really delve into. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. All right. How much do we want to, talk about me and he and Sam and Starbuck. I mean, um, what what more is there to say? What more is there to say? <laughs> they are very frustrating. I mean, the things that I like best about it are, like I said, the ways in which the storylines are juxtaposed so that, like, at the same time as you get Baltar talking to Gaeta about betrayal, you get cuts of Lee and D talking about so I like that aspect of it. I mean, sure, and I feel like it works best because they did it that way. If you just took the 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 lovers storyline on its own, I don't know that it's quite as yeah, um, sure. Well, that's kind of what I mean. Like, like we've had it's the same, and I mean, not that this isn't also true in real life when this mm-hmm. sort of thing happens. You know, I mean couples who maybe have been together for a while and are trying to figure out whether it's time to not be together after mm-hmm. all this time do tend to have the same conversations over and over again. Sure. But from a but story perspective, compelling drama. Yeah. <laughs> like we're getting the same story, you know, we're getting the same problems over, over mm-hmm. again. There is an element of escalation to it. Like now there's this bar that is, open on Galactica somehow for some reason. Right. So everybody can Um, add alcohol into their bad decision making. (laughs) Yeah. And, and like apparently, and and there's sort of the, you know, Tyrrell and Callie are apparently fighting now too. And, and, you know, you get Tyrrell kind of with his to marriage. It's why we build bars and, Mm -hmm. you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, You know, Sam and Starbuck, you know, having these one-off quickie sessions, you know, again, not, for the first time, you know, mm-hmm. but they're not like living together or anything. Um, so, 
you know, you get these conversations about, you know, oh, do you love him? Do you love her? And then you get Lee and Starbuck together and like, well, if you would just leave him, well, if you would just leave her, well, blah, blah, blah. So I don't, I mean, a lot of back and forth, you know, I mean, I think the big thing here is that you see D more and more realizing like it's not, it's just not going to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, and like even that whole speech that Lee sort of gives at the end, like, you know, I should marry me because I love you. I'm in love with you now. Maybe I loved Kara at one point, uh, but you're good for me and I need you. And I don't think I ever realized that till I knew I was losing you. And like, these like tear, you know, and stuff mm -hmm. there. Like, yeah, like, this is not the way to win her back. Not you're good for me. Right. Like right. <laughs> right. that's, that's not the, really what she's you're looking. You're the health food option. Of like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're my salad. The, you're my vegetables. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Starbucks, <laughs> Starbucks at, you know, tasty cheesecake. Right. And you're, you're my salad. Um, right. And so I should have you instead of her. Right. Yeah, right. like this is right. not I'll be a good boy and do this the, is, the responsible thing. Yeah. Right. This is not the thing that D certainly wants to hear. Um mm -hmm. Right. And that like that Lee thinks that that's at all convincing, you know. Right. Um Right. And and still like and oblivious to it's pointing it all on him. Like he's mm -hmm. he all to him, I mean. Like it's it's everything. It's about what he needs and, mm -hmm. you know, what he, what's good for him and all of right. that. And right. like, that's part of the problem is that he's been focused on himself a little too much, a lot right. too much, you know? Well, right. And then, I mean, earlier when it, um, when she's trying, when she's leaving him, um, and he's kind of, before he switches into trying to win her back, you know, it, it's the blame is all on her, you know, it's like, he says, like, the only problem is that you don't trust me. Um, you know, and so like, an that's not the only problem. The, the having sex with Kara might also be a problem. Or like there's a reason she doesn't trust you. Maybe <laughs> yeah. could be part yeah. of it. Like just the flat out lie there, Yeah, you know, like that's not even, I don't think you can even call that a Baltar self delusion. That has to be a lie of like, he yeah. has to know that he is cheating on her. And so, yes, he is giving her a reason not to trust him. Um, so, like, in a way, I feel like, I mean, obviously, the things that Baltar is being accused of are far grander in scale. But, like, in a way, Lee is more consciously, like, culpable of his betrayals. Like, sure. you know, in a way that Baltar might actually believe in his innocence. It's kind of hard to say that lee does really um and i feel like even starbuck gets annoyed at his wishy-washiness you know oh, yeah. like because it's like <laughs> why they're don't you gonna, think about it you know it's what you're best at like and it's like they're gonna leave each other's they're gonna leave their partners for each other and then somehow they don't at the end like you have an out you have both of them say you know sam and d are both saying go I won't stop you and they go mm, nah like it's not as appealing when it's something that's right. giving to you you know <laughs> if it's if it's not forbidden then why bother 
Right. What's the point? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Which seems to maybe be the whole appeal of the thing in the first place is the, right. the wrongness of it and the forbiddenness of it. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Is, I... Yeah. And, and so it is hard not to feel, even though, again, like always, they're going in with their eyes open yet you still have the couples together at the end of this you know and uh for some reason sticking with their with their people um yeah you know well, taking whatever you know like d said taking love where she can get it and saying you know I, i'll take it as long as i as you'll let me you know which is a sad thing but that's her decision is sure if you'll let me then i'll take it um so yeah yeah well and then lee stumbling drunk losing his ring yes you know that's not a metaphor for anything right no in any way uh yeah, so I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't know that we need to dwell too much on their, mm -hmm. you know, stuff there. Um, it's all been building. It's escalating a bit. And yeah, Lee's sitting on a floor drunk without his wedding ring. So there you go. There you have it. Yes. All right. Well, next week. We get to start our five-week <laughs> uh, span of Buffy. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll uh, we'll be there, and and we'll we'll get some more uh, ESG as well. Sounds good. See you then. Mm -hmm.